All right. Good morning. Thank you, BK, for those awesome announcements. Thank your kids, because your kids are better than anything we've seen so far at church. They are awesome. Um, it is great to be with everyone today, even though we're not with each other. We're still one family, one group, and um, uh, the body of Christ. So it's awesome to be with you guys. I know the churches are meeting all over the city and the world this morning, and Jesus uh, has promised to spend time with us and to give us his uh, grace and to teach us by his spirit. Uh, so we're going to pray for those things right now and just ask Jesus to come and uh, be the head of the body uh, to this morning. We need him. So Father, we pray, uh, God, that you would give us a very special touch, a very special blessing, um, that you would fill us with um, your spirit. I pray that that would show itself and reveal itself by our willingness to obey you in all things. I pray that we'd be humble, uh, that we would consider others more important than ourselves and greater than ourselves. And, and um, God, that we would look towards you to lead our lives, to guide our lives, to control our lives, to give us direction and resources to live our lives. Uh, we ask this because it's your will, God, to, for us to depend on you and to hope in you and to live by your spirit, by your strength, not by our own. So God, thank you for the trials that you bring into our lives. It is through these trials that our faith is refined like fire, and uh, you are faithful and you are good in all the trials we go through. Uh, help us to learn those lessons quickly uh, as we go through trials, that we would quickly turn to you, that we quickly uh, surrender our own um, uh, issues and our own desires and our own will uh, to quickly surrender to you and to your will. Um, we want to be a church that's a light to this world, I pray that each of the people uh, that are watching right now and that are part of our church, that we would be, um, God, that we would be your witnesses, that we would be quick to talk about our own failures, not our successes, and, and we would be a light to this world. Uh, God, this world doesn't need um, more people um, with pride. This world needs people with true humility. Um, and God, so I pray that we would uh, be that kind of witness to this world, that, that we are weak, but we can boldly declare you are strong. Uh, Lord, give us that kind of uh, spiritual power, we pray. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we got uh, some really interesting uh, text to look at today. We're in Mark chapter 11. Uh, we're going to look at verses 12 through 14 and verses 20 through 24. And this is the first time ever that I have separated um, the text that we're going to look at and, and, and skipped the middle part. But actually, we already talked about the middle part last week. It's when Jesus goes to cleanse the temple to kick out the money changers and things like that. We're going to reference it and talk about it. It's really interesting why Mark put that part right between these two parts that we're going to look at today. It's pretty amazing. 
but today's sermon is called Leaving the Leaves Behind. Leaving the Leaves Behind. All right. So we're going to back up. Before we get into what we're going to read today, we're going to back all the way up to creation, to the Garden of Eden. And way back at the beginning, remember that God created man to know him and and to have a spiritual relationship with him. All the animals were not created with a spirit, but man was created with a spirit that could know God and, and interact with God and 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 be compatible with God, to worship God on that spiritual level. And you guys know the story that that man wrecked that whole relationship uh, by choosing to sin, and thus we lost that purity and holiness that are required to have fellowship or communion or relationship with God. And and so we lost that that purity and holiness, and we gained shame and sinfulness. But shame, really, um, which shame is this tangible expression and feeling of how far Adam and Eve had fallen from glory. Uh, Their glory was gone, and it was replaced with shame and guilt. So what did Adam and Eve do? Well, they tried to cover their shame with fig leaves. Do you remember that? They found a tree, a fig tree. They took the leaves, they sewed them together and tried to make coverings. And in this act, okay, Adam was basically inventing a system to deal with the problem that he and Eve, his wife, had created. A system that would hide or cover their shame. At least that's what it was designed to do. Uh, to cover his behind, you could say. I, I believe that Adam still wanted and desired a relationship with God, and he knew that's why he was created. He had lived with it for a while and knew that it was satisfying and wonderful. Uh, and so he, was, he wanted it back, but he didn't know how to make that happen. Um, and even back then, even though Adam's attempts to cover this problem failed miserably. Even back then, God began to teach Adam and show Adam how insufficient his solution was, but how God would himself take care of the problem. God looked at those leaves and all that they were covering and all that they weren't covering, and they were not doing a good enough job. And it didn't get rid of the shame. It didn't even deal with the shame that had uh, now Adam was cursed by. And so God, what God did is he killed an animal, an animal sacrifice. And he made clothes for Adam and Eve out of its skins. So this animal basically gave its life uh, to be a better solution for the problem that Adam and Eve caused. So this, this showed Adam that his own attempts to have a relationship with God based on his own works would never, ever work. That he needed God's help. That God must do it for us. God must provide a sacrifice that 
covers us or deals with our problems sufficiently. We can't do it. Only uh, with his sacrifice can we have a fruitful relationship with God. And that's much different than Adam's system of leaves, a sacrificial system that deals appropriately with sin is a different system than Adam's leave-based, work-based, efforts-based system. And, and, and it's a fruitful relationship that pleases God. He enjoys the fruit of our lives when he tastes it. When we praise him, when we cry to him, when we pray, when we abide with him, when we serve him, when we love him, when we do good and love others, these are fruity flavors to God. He loves and he is satisfied by that kind of a relationship. And he, he, he is satisfied by it because he loves us. And he wants to see his own character reproduced in and through our lives. Our fruitfulness is his will. Have you ever wondered what God's will for your life is? What God wants for you? It is number one, fruitfulness. He likes it. When you are filled with his character, when you are like him, like children should be like their fathers. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. God delights when we have his character traits, when we are humble, when we are patient, when we are kind, when we forgive. Those are wonderful, satisfying things to our God. So remember lastly, how God defines fruit. And you guys have heard about this, the fruits of of the Spirit. And we, call, we, we can summarize it all by saying love. Love is the fruit of the Spirit, but we can further define it with words like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruitful things that God is looking for in our lives that God is hungering for. Those types of fruits satisfy the hunger in his heart. So we see here that God is not so much interested in the leaves and the system of leaves that Adam has devised as much as God is interested in fruit. So we today are going to contrast these two systems of leaves versus fruit. And just to be super clear about how we're defining that, the leaves system is man's effort to cover sin and impress God on his own. Whereas fruit, the fruit system, is God's work of real life change inside producing outward expressions of love that please our God and satisfy our God. One of them is what we do, one of them is what God does. So with that being our introduction, remembering how God designed and intended this to work and remembering that Adam had a whole deal with fig leaves, now let's go back uh, to our text in Mark chapter 11, and I think we're going to see some really incredible parallels 
and uh, callbacks to, to the fig leaves. So let's begin in chapter 11, verse 12. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. Jesus was hungry. So Jesus has the morning munchies, right? Um, he was physically hungry, but I also believe that this is a spiritual yearning that Jesus has for a satisfying relationship with his people. He's just gone into Jerusalem. He's just seen these people that he loves so much. His people. He's grown up all around these people. He knows the teachers at the temple. He knows the people and he loves them deeply and he is hungry for love. His will, his desire is to love us and to be loved by us. It's like a hunger in Jesus. And this is all going to be played out through this interaction that Jesus is going to have with a fig tree. His spiritual hunger for a loving relationship, a satisfying relationship with people that he loves is going to be seen through this tree. So we'll continue on. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. So Jesus, he sees way over there a fig tree with some leaves and he goes to inspect the fig tree to see if there's anything that could satisfy his hunger. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. So Jesus' inspection comes back empty. It, he only finds leaves. And leaves don't satisfy his hunger. I, I, I guess we can determine from this that Jesus was not a big salad guy, uh, which is okay. He, he wanted the real thing. Fig uh, trees always have figs. This is the thing, okay? Um, they don't always have a lot of figs, but they always have figs. You see, fig trees, they bloom three times a year uh, with, with figs um, following those. Um, and so what you have is any time that there is a, a, a tree that's alive or that has leaves on it, there should be some figs there. Uh, it's very, very rare. In fact, nearly impossible to find a fig tree that does not have Figs. It might not be a lot of figs, but it should have some if it's alive. And you can tell it's, a, if it, it's alive if it has leaves. I got a notice from my uh, HOA this week that I have a tree that is dead. And I, I called them and I said, how do you know it's dead? And they said, because we drove by it and it does not have any leaves. So I guess it still works today. No leaves. No life. If it has leaves, this tree should have had fruit. So you could say this tree was lying. It was lying. It was putting forth leaves like it was alive, but it was not producing the fruit as a tree that was alive. It has leaves, but no fruit. Um, and this, again, harkens back to the Garden of Eden because the leaves here are going to represent that system of man's works and um, how that system was not enough for God. The leaves didn't work in the garden. The leaves do not work with Jesus. The leaves do not work. They're not sufficient. They are not pleasing 
to him. Our works, if that's all that we have, are not pleasing to him. Our efforts, no matter how hard we try, no matter how many leaves we sow together, leaves disintegrate really, really quickly. And this all represents for us what Jesus is finding in Jerusalem with the people of God. The people that were supposed to be God's people, representing God and knowing God, loving God, having a relationship with God. There was no fruit there. There was no real relationship with God. They were doing things by their own works. They were playing around with fig leaves and producing no real fruit. That's what Jesus found when he went into the temple to inspect it, right? He goes into the temple and the text continues and we talked about it a little last week, but he goes into the temple right here in the text and he and he inspects it to see if there's anybody truly seeking the Lord, anybody who knows the Lord, anybody who is trusting or looking for the Messiah or trusting in the Messiah. And he finds nothing. So this is a perfect illustration of the state of affairs in Jerusalem at this time. It illustrates the heart of Israel and their acceptance or not acceptance of the Christ, Jesus. You know, Passover is quickly approaching this week, this Passover week, and and many thousands, if not millions of Jews would be gathering in this holy city to celebrate, and there would be sacrifices, and there would be singing, and there would be an abundance of all kinds of religious activity. But they failed to see Jesus as their King and their Messiah. The fig tree is Israel. And they looked good outwardly, but Jesus knew that their looks were very deceiving because they were committed to the wrong system. They were committed to it. They were committed to man's works instead of the work of the sacrifice of God or asking God for a sacrifice or looking to God to provide a sacrifice. You know, they would sacrifice animals like sheep, but many times they would sacrifice an ox. And that's what we have, that's what we show here, um, that this is the, the logo right there that we, we have for this book, because this book presents Jesus as the ox or the servant of God or the one who is the sacrifice that they should have been looking for. But they're not even looking for it. They don't recognize their need for it. Now, it says an interesting phrase in our text here. It says it was not the season for figs. Um, but in, in uh, the Greek, it says the time for figs was not yet. Again, uh, if we look at the how the, the plant works, we should see that there's always a few figs. But what we see here symbolically is that Jesus is going to bring in a better system, a better way, so that there can be a time of fruit. What it's saying here is there could never be figs at this with this tree, because this tree was only leaves. This tree was not really alive. This tree was really dead. So, in response to not finding any figs on this tree, Jesus says to it, let no one eat fruit fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. 
So Jesus curses this tree and he makes sure that the disciples can hear it. And what he's doing is he is declaring an end to the old system. The system that could only produce leaves. The system that just looked like it was alive. Jesus is saying, I'm doing away with it. I'm pronouncing an end to it. It will never work again. Basically, what he's saying is no one is ever going to be able to say, this was my only option. I had to trust in myself. I I had to depend on, on just what I could do. Jesus is saying that excuse will never work again. Jesus has cursed that way forever. He wants it to disappear. You don't have to trust in yourself. You can let go and you can trust him. That is an option. And he says, if you do, you'll find that I'm faithful, that I will take care of it, that I will be the sacrifice and the grace and mercy and everything else that you could possibly need for anything in your life. But don't ever say, I had to trust myself. I had to take care of it myself. I had to. Jesus says, I curse that. No, you don't ever need that again. Jesus provides a sufficient solution to the problem. Jesus has become the sacrifice that will make a a way for his people to actually be fruitful. Not just the, I say I'm alive, but I really don't love people. But the real fruit where we, we love from the depths of our heart, even our enemies. He is going to make a tree that actually produces figs or fruit. So we skip to verses 20 through 24 now. Um, He says, now in the morning. So what we skipped was him going in the temple, inspecting Israel, just like he inspected this tree, looking for fruit, just like he looked in this tree and finding none, just like he found this tree. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. What we see here is when Jesus pronounces the death of something, it dies. Jesus will never let anyone be deceived by this false system again. So leaving the leaves behind as a system of knowing God or pleasing God or serving God having a relationship with God. That's what we're learning about today. We got to leave those leaves behind. And it says here that it was dried up from the roots, but usually, see, roots are the last thing that dies when a tree dies. But here it's the opposite because the rottenness of this tree was from the inside out. It was started in the roots, in the heart of the tree. The rottenness of the system is in the heart. The reason why we can never use the system of man solutions, man works, man's effort in dealing with God is because man's heart is corrupted and rotten. Man's efforts can never please God because the roots are wicked. The heart is wicked in every man. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 7, in my flesh dwells no good thing. 
We have to understand it. We have to confess it. We have to fully buy into the fact that we can't do this. But God will and does do it for us. No matter how hard we try, no matter how sincere we may be, it will never be pleasing to God when we use the wrong system. It doesn't produce the fruit that he's looking for. The leaves can satisfy you. We can pretend we're alive. We can pretend I'm a Christian. I go to church. I even read my Bible. I even say to everyone, I'm a Christian. Okay, but it can all just be leaves. And Jesus is saying you don't need to live that way. I've cursed that way. It's not going to work anyway, but I've provided a better way. And right now, Jesus is going to show us how that better way works. The new covenant, the covenant of grace. How does that work? He says right here, Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. That's it. That's how the new covenant works. Have faith in God. Because it's not a covenant of works. God's doing away with the works deal. And he's saying, the only thing that I need from you is faith. Go back to Adam and Eve. If Adam would have run to God naked, brought his shame to God, he could have bypassed all the leaves. He could have bypassed all that. He could have run straight to God and say, God, I've really royally messed up and I need you. And God would have taken him and provided the grace that he needed. And that's still the way God works. And it's, it's important for us to remember and understand that. Work was required to sow those fig leaves. Faith was required to receive the gift of the sacrificial covering of skins that God made Adam. We see works versus faith. It's a war. It's a, it's a contrast. They're two opposing systems. And we get them confused all the time in our life. The old system and the new system. The old covenant and the new covenant. What we do to fix our own problems versus what God is willing to do to give grace and mercy to us because he loves us. The new covenant that Jesus is bringing and establishing right here, that life of the new covenant will produce the fruit that God wills, that he wants, that he desires, that he hungers for. You see, Jesus is sick and tired of people being just leaves, and he wants these fruitful people. He hungers for it. We do the praying, and he does the fruit producing in our lives. There's nothing you can do to produce this fruit. He wants us to learn that it's a life of praying and drawing upon him and abiding in him and spending time with him. And his life flows through our veins and produces the fruit that he loves. It's not up to you. The only thing it is up to you is the abiding part of it. Are you going to stay connected to him? Let his life flow into you and through you. Jesus continues. He says, 
Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Wow. That is a crazy promise. We're going to talk more about that next week. But for our talk this week, God's hunger or God's will or God's desire is to taste the fruit of righteousness in our lives, but there are mountains in the way. His will is to accomplish this fruit-bearing work in our lives through faith. That's his will. He doesn't want you to try to make it on your own. He wants to do it by faith. Faith is when we say, God, I trust you. God, I'm going to stop doing all the things I was doing to make it happen. Instead, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to feed on your faithfulness. I'm going to abide in your loving kindness. And that abiding relationship, Jesus says that's his will to, he will move mountains. His way is accomplished through this faith. That's how he wants it to work. That's his will. And faith is expressed by prayer. If you're not praying, it's, it shows where our faith is. But if you're praying, even prayers of desperation, even prayers that are, that are, that are raw, that shows real, authentic faith. Praying, vital to an abiding relationship with Jesus. Why does Jesus bring up a mountain? Because mountains are impossible to move by human efforts, just like shame is impossible to cover by fig leaves. Jesus wants us to trust him for the impossible. He commands us, trust him for the impossible. And in fact, he brings impossible situations into our lives so that we have mountains to pray for. So that we are forced down to our knees to pray and say, God, I cannot do this. And he's like, I know, I know when I'm right there with you and I will answer your prayers and you will learn to abide in me and mountains shall be moved by my power. Never let yourself think that Jesus can't or won't do the impossible because he says all things are possible through Christ who gives me strength. How does he give me strength? Through prayer. When I pray, when I abide, when I wait upon him, when I make my request to him in that, in that faith-centered relationship, he gives us strength. He gives us grace. He gives us all that we need. The way of the new covenant is this. Surrender to his will. Then pray for his will. Then believe that he will accomplish his will. And then you will receive his will. It's all about his will. The last part of our text here is the most mind-blowing, unbelievable, shocking text. Maybe in all of literature. It says, 
Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, see, I can't even read it without stumbling because it's so shocking. Let me start over. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Our, our, our sermon next week is going to be all about that one verse. We're just going to dive in and we're going we're to look at it. We're going to let it look at us. We're going to let it read us. We're not going to read the Bible next week. The Bible's going to read us. And it's going to be shocking. This is a summary of the way a fruitful life looks. This is a new covenant life on display. This is the life God promises to you and to me. A life where we have confidence in the answering grace of God great confidence, faith-filled confidence. Well, I hope I've whet your appetite for next week. It's going to be crazy. So please invite your friends, tune in. We'll get into it next week. We're going to have a Zoom meeting right after this to talk with each other, to fellowship with each other. Remember this week to text each other, call each other, make time to invest in each other's lives. And I want to say this, if anyone has a desire to record a video of an encouragement or a prayer or anything that you believe the Spirit is putting on your heart, talk to me about it. And I would love to get some videos recorded that we could uh, uh, do during our, our Sundays so that we could uh, encourage each other and people could see more of our family together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we can leave the leaves behind and we can live a fruitful life. And I pray that you would produce fruit in our lives by your grace, by your love, by all the power that you freely offer. We are undeserving, unworthy, but your love makes us children of God co-heirs with you, adopted into God's family with all the rights and blessings and benefits of children of God. And teach us, Lord, what it means by your spirit, by even our conscience, to live holy lives, to live the life that you produce in us. Teach us to repent quickly when we get back into that self-produced life that only looks alive. Lord, we want to be true, non-hypocrites. We want to be real and authentic children of of God, filled with faith, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, putting to death self-produced life, and living the fruitfulness, Jesus, that you love. Thank you that you have made us the objects of your love. Thank you for your pruning to produce fruit in our lives. And thank you for the trials and the mountains that you put in our lives where we are forced to trust in you, where we are pruned of our self-trust. And God, you show us 
where our faith needs to grow. We love you, but we thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, oh, if you stayed to the end, here, here's your reward. Huh? There's fig leaves. You can imagine a uh, little bikini or mankini made of those. Yeah, that's creepy. So uh, way to go, Adam. Anyway, talk to you guys later.